ears that I may hear voices of truth thou sendest clear and while the wave notes fall on my ear everything false will disappear silently I hope that each of you, if you're not a part of our faith program this semester, will at least pray for the faith team as we go out tomorrow night, that we might be able to do what this last verse says, open my mouth and let me bear gladly thy warm truth everywhere. And hopefully next semester in the fall, as we grow in faith, you'll be a part of faith. You can pray and go. That last verse, open my mouth and let me bear gladly thy warm truth everywhere. You may be seated. Appreciate Joe filling in for Rick tonight. He got tied up and he couldn't get here. Let's let our ushers come forward to receive her offering as they do so. If you are visiting with us tonight, would you just kind of raise your hand up high? The ushers have a packet they want to give you. There's some a gift in there for you from the church, and uh, there's a guest card we would appreciate if you'd take and just fill out and drop in offering plate in just a moment. Good to have those that are visiting with us. Good to have this lady with Sherry. Good to have you back with us tonight. Some folks back here in the middle, good to have you right over here. Good to have you folks with us tonight. Good to see Lisa and little Joshua back tonight. Lisa, you need, before you leave, to make me a list of all the sermons, all my sermons that Brian's preached since he went to West Virginia. I'm going to be with him in a couple of weeks. I'm afraid to go up there. I'm afraid he's preached my messages. Amen. But make me a list. But uh, good to have all of these that are with us tonight. Don't forget now, Sunday is Revival Sunday. It's the first of three Super Sundays. How many of you have already been working trying to get somebody here Sunday? Great. Everybody, between now and Sunday, call friends and family, invite them to come. Let's have a great day on the Lord's Day. And most of all, let's pray and ask the Lord to bless. Revival runs through Wednesday night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night at 730 and I hope you're making plans to be here every night. 
try to get folks here. Sunday school classes, we're going to be trying to uh, see, uh, maintain their average during the week. We'll be checking averages every night. So uh, we want to encourage you just to be here every service. But most of all, pray and ask the Lord to bless. Brother Hurt will be with us. And, of course, he's going to be at... Uh, Corvin Road, where David Burkhardt is, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night. The choir's going up on Saturday night, and we trust we have a good number to go up. be a real encouragement to David. And, uh, but if you're planning on going, the vans will be leaving here at 545. They're going to leave here at 545. Now, if you want to drive up, there's directions in your bulletin tonight. Very easy to find. Just go to date up 27. Be sure to observe the speed limit through Sail Creek. That's the worst place in the world. Get a ticket. Can it say amen right there? I've never got one, but some of our members have. And, but when you go up 27, go into Dayton, turn right at the Conoco, go up, turn left somewhere out through there, and the church is out through there. But there's directions in your bulletin, and if you're planning on driving, but we invite anybody that wants to go up, and we'll just pack the place out, and it'll be a real blessing to David. Let's pray. You give now in the offering. Everything you give on Wednesday night goes toward uh, the Bible conference in the fall. So we encourage you to give. Father, bless the offering. Continue to open our hearts to all the wonderful things you have for us. Bless us us tonight as we study your word, and we'll praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pat and Mary Jo. I appreciate their ministry in this church. Scripture says, My sheep know my voice. I know them and they follow me. I'm so glad that my God still speaks to me and that I know his voice. He still speaks. a hustling, clamoring world, so 
Sometimes it's hard to hear the voice of God speaking to my soul. But in my quiet time alone, as I approach his holy throne, his tender words speak out on my ears. He still I know his voice, sweeter sounds never heard by mortal ears, and to think that God by him makes me rejoice he still speaks I know his voice there are so many who still doubt that God can speak today they laugh and mock when we say we've heard from God. Yet the still small voice of God is heard above the doubters of this world. His timeless words ring out with hope today. He still speaks. I know Harlem. 
Let's turn our Bibles to Exodus chapter 27. Exodus 27 is the lapel not working, Kim. Is that it there? Exodus chapter 27. Exodus 27, we're going to continue tonight looking at the tabernacle. Exodus chapter 27, you should have a little a brochure there to, that you can take notes in as well as fill in some blanks so I can keep your attention and so you can remember as well. Exodus chapter 27. I'm glad God still speaks to his children, aren't you? I'll tell you, he knows what to say and he knows when to say it. I've been reading a book this week entitled uh, The Bend in the Road by David Jeremiah. Of course, many of you hear Dr. Jeremiah on the radio, and of course he had cancer. And this is a book that came out of his experience uh, in the Mayo Clinic and surgery and different things. But uh, I was touched with how he talked about the things that God said to him through his trial. God speaks to us, and I thank the Lord for it. Exodus 27. I hope I've got everything correct on the screen tonight. I came in about 20 minutes of 7 and uh, went in just to review the outline and opened the disc up that we have prepared for the services, which usually takes about an hour to get it ready. Uh, the way that I do it on Wednesday night. And so I looked at something and then shut it down, and it I don't know where it went. It, I lost it. It just went blank. And so I tried every way under the world to get it up. So what I normally do in about 45 minutes to an hour, I did in 15 minutes. That's why I come in late. I was praying, Lord, help us, help us. I pray Joe's sick. I hope he gets started late. And so I get it done. So I have no idea. What kind of mistakes will be on the screen tonight? But if they are, Rhonda did it. Just look at it that way, all right? Exodus 27, verse 1. Let's stand as we honor the reading of his word. Tonight, we're going to look at the altar. We're going to look at the altar. Last Wednesday night, we looked at the gate or the door of the tabernacle, the door of the outer court. Tonight, we're going to look at the altar. You have a small picture of it on the front of your brochure there, your bulletin. And that kind of gives you an idea of what the altar looked like. And then maybe tonight before we're through, you'll understand it a little more and uh, the picture will have more meaning to you. But verse 1 of chapter 27 of, of Exodus reads, And thou shalt make an altar of shittim wood, five cubits long and five cubits broad. The altar shall be four square and the heights thereof shall be three Cubits. Thank you. you. May be seated. Just keep your place in chapter 27, for that's where we'll stay tonight. We'll work our way through the first seven verses, and we'll learn a few things tonight about the altar. Let's pray. Our Father, in Jesus' name, as we come to you tonight, we thank you for the privilege of being able to study the Word of God. We thank you for a book that has been given to us by the Holy Spirit, a book that we know because of its origin is a book without flaw. It is a book without mistake. It is a book without contradiction. It is a book without error. So as we come to the Bible tonight, we know that we have an infallible and an inerrant book. We thank you for that. Father, we also come tonight because it is a book given to us by the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to help us to understand it. Holy Spirit of God, tonight there is no way that we'll ever understand God's Word if you don't help us to understand it. Illuminate our minds. Open our minds. Enlighten us tonight 
that we might learn the Word of God. And then tonight I pray, Lord, that it will be used to bless our hearts and also to stir our hearts. Help us tonight as we learn from this great object lesson in the wilderness. Honor the Lord Jesus now and lift Him up as was intended by the tabernacle. And we'll praise you and thank you for it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, briefly, let me just remind you where we have come over the past few weeks. This is our third study in the tabernacle. We began by just giving a brief sketch of the tabernacle, learning a little bit about the details of it, and just a little bit about how the tabernacle was laid out. We saw that the tabernacle was surrounded by an outer court that measured 150 foot in length, 75 feet wide, and seven and a half feet high. The picture that you see, I believe I have it on the screen, there you can get a, maybe a little better understanding of it. It picks up a little more of the colors than the black and white we had last Wednesday night. But you see that white fence, that is what we call the outer court. Again, 150 foot long, 75 feet wide. The fence was seven and a half feet tall. The tabernacle itself sat at the west end of the outer court. It measured 45 feet in length. It was 15 feet wide and 15 foot high. This tabernacle or tent was divided into two rooms divided by a veil. The first room that you would walk into was what we call the holy place. It was a room that was 30 feet in length, 15 foot wide, and 15 foot high. The second room that you would go into behind the veil is what is known as the most holy place, or it has been called the holies of holies. And it was a room that was a perfect square. It was 15 foot in length, 15 foot wide, and 15 foot high. In our last study, we saw that there was only one entrance into the outer court or into the tabernacle. And that was the gate or the door or the entrance that was found on the east end. We reminded ourselves the tabernacle, of course, symbolizes the Lord Jesus as well as the Christian. And as we thought about the one entrance into the tabernacle, we were reminded that the only way we get to God is through Jesus Christ. There's not doors on the east or no doors on the west or the south and the north, only a door on the east. There are not many ways to get to heaven. There is one way to get to heaven. And you only get to heaven through Jesus Christ. You don't get to heaven by anything you do. You get to heaven through what he has done. By Jesus Christ only can we get to God. By Jesus Christ only are we saved. Now that in a nutshell is where we've come over the past two weeks. Now tonight we're going to look at the altar. I want to begin by just reminding you of seven articles of furniture that were found in the tabernacle, in the outer court and in the tabernacle itself. And there's some blank spaces there for you to follow and to write them down as we point them out to you. There were seven pieces of furniture that were found in the tabernacle. There was the, tower, the furniture that was found, first of all, in the outer court. This is the area that we looked at, and the picture, uh, you remember the tabernacle, the outer court there. There were two pieces of furniture in the outer court. The first piece that you would find was the altar. That's what we're going to look at tonight. If you walk through the entrance of the tabernacle, the first thing that would catch your eye was a big brazen altar setting right there in front of you. The second piece of furniture would have been down next to the tabernacle itself, and that was called the laver, the brass laver. We'll learn more about the laver next Wednesday night. 
But in the outer court, there were two pieces of furniture. There was the altar. There was the laver. Then you moved into the first room of the tabernacle itself that was called the holy place. And in the holy place, there were three pieces of furniture. There was a table of showbread on one side. There was a candlestick on the other side. And there was an altar of incense that sat next to the veil itself. Three pieces. There was the table of showbread. There was the candlestick. And there was the altar of incense. Then you went in through the veil or behind the veil would be the proper way of saying it. And you would go into the third room or the second room and there you would find two pieces of furniture. And in the holy place or the most holy place, you would find first of all the ark and then second of all, you would find the mercy seat. Now really they were two pieces put together. If you were to walk behind the veil into the most holy place, you would say, well, there's just one piece in here. But what it was, there was the ark, which was a, somewhat like a chest, and the mercy seat was the lid to the ark. And they were really two separate pieces, but they were put together as one. So you found these seven pieces, the altar and the laver and the table of showbread, the candlestick, the altar of incense, the ark, and the mercy seat. What is so fascinating about all seven pieces of, these, of this furniture is that they are, were placed in the form of a cross. If you were to walk into the entrance of the tabernacle, right in front of you would have been the brazen altar. Straight ahead would have been the brazen laver. When you walked into the holy place, then you would have a piece over here and a piece over here, and then in the very middle you would have the altar of incense, and then directly behind it in the other place, straight ahead, would have been the ark and the mercy seat. All of these formed a cross. You see, everything about the tabernacle was to symbolize the work of Jesus Christ, what He has done for us, and on what our salvation rests. Now, you that are interested in numerology know that seven is the number of perfection. And when you look at these seven pieces in the tabernacle, and there's a series of sevens throughout the tabernacle, but you see this number seven and the seven pieces of furniture, they symbolize the perfect provision for the believer. They symbolize that our salvation was provided by Jesus Christ and the perfect provision had been made for the believer. Not only did they symbolize the perfect provision for the believer, but they also symbolized the steps to a full and a complete victorious life as a child of God. If you were to walk inside the entrance or the door, as I said, the first thing you would come to would be the altar. The door, we said, symbolized Jesus Christ that we must come through Him. But the altar that we'll look at tonight symbolized the cross. In other words, if you're going to come to God, you must come through Jesus Christ and the finished work of Calvary. You can't go to God apart from the cross. You can't get to God apart from Calvary. The only way you can be saved and the only way you can get to God is through the death of Jesus Christ. So the altar there symbolized our conversion, that we come to God and on the cross where Jesus made provision for our sin. We put our faith in Him and accept Him as our Savior, and in so doing, we become a child of God. We are saved. The next piece that followed was the laver. This was where the priest would cleanse himself, wash his face and wash his hands and his feet before he entered into the holy place. The laver symbolized cleansing in the life of the believer. 
You see, even though you have come by the way of the cross, and there has been that conversion experience in your life, you have been saved through the death of Jesus Christ, and your sin has been provided for, even then as a believer, as you began your Christian life, there is learning to deal with sin in your life day by day by day. And if you're to go on with God, you'll have to have your sins cleansed. You'll have to learn to deal with your sins and have cleansing for those sins. You see, even though you've been saved, you still will fail God. And you'll still sin. But there is a place where we come, and that is to God. And we confess our sins. And if we confess our sins, He will cleanse us of our sins. You remember in John 13 where Jesus was washing the feet of the disciples? And when he got to Peter, Peter said, no, no, you'll not, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus said to him, if I do not wash your feet, you won't have any part in me. And the phrase that he used there that meant that he would not have fellowship with him. And he used two particular words there. Peter, he talked about, I, and when Jesus explained to him that he couldn't have fellowship, Peter said, don't only wash my feet, but bathe me as well, basically is what he said. He said, if that's the case, I not only want my feet washed, I want to have a full bath. And Jesus explained to him that all he needed was to have his feet washed. And the symbolism is that if you've been saved with the grace of God, you don't ever need to be saved again, but you do get your feet dirty as you serve God, and you need to be cleansed from your sin. So as you come to the altar, there's conversion, and then the next step is learning to deal with sin in your life, and there is day cleansing and separation from the world. When you went on the inside, you found a table of showbread. This was symbolic of fellowship feeding on the Word of God, the bread of life, Christ, the bread of life. As you see, we began the Christian life at the cross, and then we learn how to deal with sin, and we fellowship with God, we feed on the Word of God, feed on Christ, the bread of life, that we might grow. On the other side was the candlestick. This gave light to the inside of the tabernacle. The candlestick is symbolic of the testimony of the believer. As we come to the cross, we are saved. And as we begin our Christian life, we learn to deal with sin daily in our life. And we have fellowship with God. But we deal with sin and have fellowship with God that we might have the right kind of testimony in this world. That our light might shine in this dark world. That in the very middle was the altar of incense. As the incense would burn, it would go up and over the veil into the very presence of God. The altar of incense is symbolic of prayer and intercession in the life of the believer. As we grow in our Christian life, we learn to pray. We learn to pray for others. We learn to bring our needs to God. Then you came to the ark, and the ark was symbolic of full and total surrender. Total surrender to God. The Christian life, you grow in your Christian life till you come to that point where you give everything to God and you make Jesus Christ Lord of your life. And the mercy seat was symbolic of the life of victory, a life that produces peace and rest in the believer. So these seven pieces symbolize the perfect, the seven steps to a complete and a victorious life as a child of God. If you have come to the cross, then you need to deal with sin in your life every day. You need to have fellowship with God on a daily basis. You need to, your lights to shine in this world. Let your light so shine. Seek God and learn to pray that you might live in fellowship with God and a life totally given to God, enjoying all that God has. Now, if you skip any of these pieces, then you'll never live the kind of life God wants you to live. 
But if you'll follow these steps and follow these procedures in your life, you'll learn how to live in victory, and you'll learn to have a fruitful and a growing Christian life. Amen? But you not only have these seven pieces of furniture, but you'll find that in the Bible, the altar is given several names. You have a place in your bulletin there to jot the references down. Let me give them to you, and you write the references down so you look, can look them up later. The altar was called, in Exodus 27 in verse 1, the altar of Shittim wood. We read that a moment ago. In Exodus chapter 30 in verse 8, it was called the altar of burnt offering. In Exodus 38 in verse 30, it was called the brazen altar. In Psalm 43 in verse 4, it is called the altar of God. In Exodus 29 in verse 36, it is simply called the altar. Now, there are other places where these same names are given, but these are just samples that you can look up in your studies. In Malachi 1.7, it is called the table of the Lord. In Leviticus chapter 1 in verse 5, it is called the altar by the door of the tabernacle. So the altar is given six names in the Bible. Now, again, as I said, when you first walk into the tabernacle or the outer court, the first thing that you saw was this altar. I put a picture up on the screen. I believe that's the next one, right? You can get a picture there similar to what you have. It is the same picture there. And, but this is what you saw. And when you walked inside the court, that was the first thing that caught your attention. Now, this particular piece of furniture was used more than any other piece of furniture in the tabernacle. For example, the holy place was used in the morning and in the evening. Every morning, the priests would go into the holy place and they would burn the incense, the candles and, and so forth. It would, they would burn the incense every morning. They would go back in the afternoon and burn the incense again. They used the holy place morning and evening of each day. The most holy place was only used once a year, and that was on the Passover day. And only one person was allowed to go into that room, and that was the high priest himself. And again, he only went in there once a year, one day a year, and that was on Passover day. So the holy place was used morning and evening. The most holy place was used once a year, but the altar was used continually. Night and day, a fire burned on the altar. Instructions were given that the fire was never to be let, never to go out. In fact, the fire that burned on the altar was ignited by God himself. When Moses finally built the altar and the tabernacle was erected, as God, the glory filled the place, God ignited the fire on the altar. And he gave the instructions never to let the fire go out. So every minute of every day, the altar was being used. Sacrifices were being offered on the altar all through the day. All through the day, the altar was being used. Now, the word altar itself, as I said, the altar is symbolic of the cross. The word altar itself has basically, primarily, two meanings. The word altar sometimes was used to speak of that which is lifted up. Lifted up. That sometimes was used to speak of the altar. And of course, when we think about the cross being symbolized in the altar, we are reminded that Jesus Christ was lifted up on Calvary's cross. The word not only meant lifting up, but it also meant slaughter place. It was a slaughter place. For you see, it was on the altar that all the sacrifices were slain and all the sacrifices were offered. This is where the lambs were brought and they were slain. 
This is where the ox and the goats and the different ones were brought and offered on behalf of the people to make atonement for their sin. It was a place of slaughter. It was the place of sacrifice. And of course, when we think about the cross, we're reminded tonight that Calvary was the place of sacrifice, that it was the place where Jesus Christ gave himself as our sacrifice for sin. He was the Lamb of God that came to take away the sin of the world. Now, his position, as I've already pointed out, symbolized that you must come through Jesus Christ who died on the cross. Before you could go on and move on in fellowship with God and get toward God, you had to come by the way of the altar. You didn't get past the altar without a sacrifice. And we're mindful tonight that Jesus Christ who died on the cross, he is our sacrifice. And the only way we get to God and the only way we'll ever get to heaven is through what Jesus Christ did for us. But notice how the altar is described. The altar is described several ways in chapter 27 of the book of Exodus. You notice in chapter 27, verses 1 and verse 8, that it's described as a square, hollow box. Notice verse 1 of Exodus 27. We read it a moment ago. Thou shalt make an altar of shittim wood, five cubits long and five cubits broad. And the altar shall be four square, and the height thereof shall be three cubits. Verse 1 tells us that it was in the shape of a square, four square. But verse 8 said, Hollow with boards shalt thou make it. As it was showed thee in the mount, so shall they make it. So what you had was a hollow box made out of wood, shittim wood, and overlaid with brass, as we'll point out in just a moment. But you had a square, hollow box. Verse 2 tells us that on each corner of the altar was a horn. The Bible said, And thou shalt make the horns of it upon the four corners thereof. His horn shall be the same, and thou shalt overlay it with brass. Four horns on each corner of the equal size that were overlaid with brass. So there were four horns, one on each corner. You'll also find, beginning in verse 3, there were five utensils that were used at the altar. Verse 3 said, And thou shalt make his pans, that's the first one, to receive his ashes, and his shovels, the second, and his basins, the third, and his flesh hooks, the fourth, and his fire pans, the fifth, and all the vessels thereof shalt thou make of brass. There were five vessels or five utensils that were used at the altar, each of them made out of brass. Now, here are the five. The first thing that you see in verse 3 is pans. He's given instructions to make brass pans to use at the altar. These pans were used to carry the ashes from the altar to a place outside the camp. The ashes were removed every day. They were taken outside the camp to a separate place and there buried. The pans were used to carry those ashes from the altar to the place they were buried. The second item that is mentioned there is the shovels. The shovels were used to pick up the ashes and to feed the fire. It's like you would take a shovel or these little fireplace shovels to take the ashes out of your fireplace. It served the same purpose and also uh, to feed the fire as well. The third item was a basin or basins. And the basins were used for the holding, used for holding the blood of the sacrifices. The throat of the sacrifice would be cut, and the blood would be drained into these brass basins. 
And the blood would not be poured on the altar, but sprinkled upon the altar. But the basins were used for catching the blood. The fourth item that he mentions is flesh hooks. These were also made of brass. And the flesh hooks were a little, three, little handle, three-pronged instrument that was used for adjusting the pieces of the sacrifice upon the wood. Every piece had to be laid in order. And the sacrifice, or rather the priest, would take the flesh hook and he would adjust those pieces, those pieces as they were cut and put them in order. And then the last item that is mentioned is the fire pans. These were used to carry burning embers from the brazing altar to the altar of incense. Sometimes in the Bible they are called censers. So the fire that was, or the, the incense, the fire that was used to burn the incense came from the very altar itself. And the fire pans were used to take again the embers from the altar, carry them inside by the priest, and used to burn the incense inside the most holy place. There's three more points I, point, I want to just point out to you that it's not in your bulletin, but just write these three things down. In verse 4 and 5, we also see that not only was the altar a square hollow box, and on each corner was a horn, and five utensils were used, but in the middle of the altar was a grate. You find in verse 4 and 5, and thou shalt make for it a grate of network of brass. And upon the net shalt thou make four brazen rings in the four corners thereof. And thou shalt put it under the compass of the altar beneath, that the net may be even to the midst of the altar. You see in your picture there that grate in the middle. It appears in your picture to be toward the top. Actually, it was in the very middle of the altar itself. And upon this grate was where the sacrifices were laying. There were four rings in each corner on the inside of the altar into which this grape was held or placed. But it was on this grape that the sacrifices lay and were burned. You'll also see in your picture on the outside there were two staves. We would call them poles that were used to carry the altar. Every piece of the tabernacle was portable because they would move. Whenever God told them to move, they'd pack this thing up and move it to the next location. And they would stop wherever God told them to stop, set it back up again. And they didn't move every day, sometimes months and months, maybe years at the same place. But again, it was portable. And on the side, they used two poles to carry the altar. There were rings on each corner to slide the staves of the poles through. You see those staves of the poles on each there. You don't really see the ring in your picture, but there were four rings there fastened to the altar itself, and these poles simply slid through them. That's how the altar is described in Exodus chapter 27. Now, just a couple of more things before I briefly give you the three points. And that is that when you talk about the altar, you're talking about the slaughtering place. You're talking about where sacrifices were offered to God. As you read the Bible, you'll find that there were five particular animals that were used as a sacrifice. Each of them was symbolic of something of Jesus Christ. But there were five animals that were used in the sacrifice. The first one that I want to point out is the ox, the big, the strong animal, symbolic of Christ, the strong, enduring servant who was obedient unto death, the one that gave his life, did not flee, what he had to go through, but was obedient unto death. The second animal that was used was a lamb. The lamb is symbolic of Christ's silent and voluntary death on the cross. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and he spoke not a word, the Bible said. 
the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Christ is silent and voluntary death. The goat, goats in the Bible sometimes symbolize those who are unsaved. The goat was offered as well. And the goat was symbolic of sinners separated from judgment. Like he has set the goats on his left hand and the sheep on his right hand. The sheep symbolizing those that are his, the goats symbolizing those that are not his. God in his sacrificial system allowed the sacrifice of a goat to remind men that they were sinners separated from God. And they had to be brought to God through a sacrifice. The goat is symbolic of a sinner and a sinner in his judgment. It reminds us, reminds us in symbolic how that Christ was numbered with the transgressors. He became one of us, as we looked at in one of our former studies. Became man, robed himself in human flesh, that he might be one of us. And that he might die for us. He was numbered with the transgressors. The next animal that was used for sacrifice was a turtle dove. And also the turtle dove, with the turtle dove, it could be substituted with a pigeon. Now these were the animals that were offered by the poor. Those who could not bring an ox would bring a lamb. Those who could not bring a lamb maybe would bring a goat. But the very poor that had no flocks of their own, they had to have a sacrifice as well. So God in his welfare system made it possible that everybody had a sacrifice. And those who, did have, those who had no flocks and those who could not afford an ox or a lamb or a goat, they could bring a little turtle dove or bring a little pigeon. Reminds us that he became poor, that we might be rich. As we, many of you may remember, a number of years ago, I brought a whole series of messages on Sunday night on the five offerings. And there are five particular offerings that were made at the altar. These five animals were the animals used in sacrifices, but they were presented in five different ways. Five of them. There is what we call the burnt offering. This was where a whole animal was consumed on the altar. It speaks of the giving of life, total giving of life. And at the cross, Jesus Christ gave his life, shed his blood that we might be saved. He gave himself, totally gave himself that we might be saved. He was our burnt offering. Another offering that was offered on the altar was the meal offering. And the meal offering, if you remember, was expressive of their thanksgiving and their recognition of God's blessings. This was a voluntary offering. The burnt offering was a commanded offering, involuntary offering. But the meal offering was a voluntary offering. It was an offering they would bring to express their thanks to God. It was an offering they would bring to recognize and, and, and acknowledgement that all that they had had been given to them by God. And they owed God everything. Another offering, a voluntary offering, was a peace offering. And this was symbolic of the peace and the fellowship they had with God. It was another offering of thanksgiving and gratitude to come and to give praise to God that they could know God and they had a relationship with God. Another offering that was offering, offered was the sin offering. This was the substitutionary offering. This was the lamb that would die in the stead of those who were guilty. This was the lamb that was made and died every day as well as on the day of atonement to make a substitute and to make atonement for sins. Symbolic that Christ died on Calvary in my stead. I want you to understand this, that when Jesus went to the cross, he died for every one of us in this room tonight. 
He went to Calvary with my name in mind. He went to the cross with Aaron Hampton's name in mind. He went to the cross with Steve Green's name in mind. When he went to Calvary, he had you on his mind. And he went to the cross as your substitute. You know what he did for you on the cross? He took your place. He bore your sin. He bore your judgment. If I put it this way, he bore my hell that I might have heaven. He died that I might have life. He died in my place. He was my sin offering. But there was a filth in the last offering. It's what is called the trespass offering. This was an offering for sin, but it was an offering for specific sins that had been committed. You see, the sin offering and the burn offering made atonement, especially the sin offering made atonement for our sins. There was one offered in the morning, one offered in the evening, one offered at noon, one offered on the day of atonement to make sins, atonement for the sins of the nation. It was a sin offering to atone for the sins of the people in the nation. But they had a trespass offering for specific sins people committed. If a man sinned in some way, say he stole something, and he was ready to get that right, he would bring a trespass offering. And he would offer that to make an atonement for that particular sin. I'm mindful tonight that we do fail God and we have to come to God and confess sins. But I want you to understand something. The blood that Jesus Christ shed on the cross nearly 2,000... And I'm going to let you go home. Are you ready? That was the introduction. Are you ready? Three things. It won't take me about five minutes. I have been known to lie, but I'm going to try to be as close as I can. These three things. Jot them down. First of all, just briefly look at the measurements of the altar. The measurements of the altar. Chapter 27, verse 1, you are given the measurements. Five cubits long, five cubits broad, and four, or th the height thereof shall be three cubits. Now, this is the largest piece of furniture. It has been someone, many, in fact, in my reading on the tabernacle, many have said that every other piece of the tabernacle could fit down inside the altar. I'm not sure that's right, but many of them believe that every other piece, all the other pieces could fit on the inside and very possible they were moved that way. But it's the largest piece of furniture. This is what the measurements are. The five cubits long equaled seven and a half feet long. The five cubits wide equals seven and a half feet wide. The three cubits high is equal to, in our measurements, to four and a half foot. So you had a ark, or not an ark, but an altar that was seven and a half foot long, seven and a half foot wide, four and a half foot high. Now, let me just point out a couple of things about these numbers. It was five cubits long. Five, as you know in the Bible, is the number of grace. You see, when you came to the altar, you were coming to the cross, you might say. You were coming to the place where somebody or something was dying for your sins. You were coming to the place where you met God through the sacrifice of another. The only way you could get to God was something dying to make atonement for your sin. Five is the number of grace. It reminds us that it's only by the grace of God that we are saved. Man, it's sin. God was a holy God. and If God had so desired, he could have said, that's it. And went on being God and left the whole universe to die and go to hell. But no, God in His grace 
made a way that men might be brought back to him and that men might be saved. We are saved by the grace of God. Can I get an amen right there? Grace not only saves us, but grace is the reason we're blessed of God. I want you to understand something tonight. If God blesses your life, it's not because of all you do. We've got this idea. Now, man, I've read 10 chapters of, of my Bible today, and I prayed a whole hour, God's going to be good to me. Now, God will bless you for doing that, but I want you to understand, God don't bless you because you read 10 chapters a day or pray one hour a day. He blesses you because of grace. You don't deserve anything you get from God. As an old preacher up home used to say, if we had what we deserve, we'd be in health, our back broke. But God, His blessings in our life are because of His grace. Don't ever forget that. You never earn anything you get from God. I never earn anything. Anything God does for us, in us, with us, by us, is by the grace of God. Five is the number of grace. Three is the number of resurrection. It's mindful, and we are reminded in the altar itself that our salvation rests on the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection was God's signature that the sacrifice of Jesus had been accepted. And the square itself, 15 or 7 half foot long, 7 half foot wide, suggests the universal offer of salvation. Aren't you glad tonight salvation is offered to everybody? Aren't you glad it's offered to everybody? Because if it had been limited to certain ones, there's a good chance some of us in this room may have not got in. But because it is a universal offer, then everybody can come. Thank God for that. That's the measurements. But quickly, the materials of the altar. The materials. Verse 2. Thou shalt make the horns of it upon the four corners thereof, and his horns shall be the same, and thou shalt overlay it with brass. Verse 8 said, Hollow with boards shalt thou make it, as it was showed thee in the mount. The ark was made out of shittim wool. There was two particular items or materials used. The ark or the, the altar, I keep saying the ark, the altar was made of shittim wood. Wood in the Bible is always symbolic of humanity. When you look at the ark, or the ark, when you look, I got the ark in my mind, I'm going to float away here. It's the altar, when you look at the altar, and you see that it was made of wood, you are reminded of the humanity of Jesus Christ. He died as a sacrifice, but he died as a man. He died as a human being, identified himself with the human race. You see all the little lambs and the turtle doves and pigeons and ox and goats, they all died and they made atonement for sins, but they merely covered sin. A lamb was an innocent little creature, but it was not a human being, and it made... Uh, make atonement, but it would only last for a year, and it only covered sin. There had to be a human being to die because it was a human being that was guilty. And so Christ Jesus became flesh, came to this earth, and died as a human being, a human sacrifice. Uh, wood is, shed of wood is symbolic of his humanity. And then, of course, the wood was overlaid with brass. Brass in the Bible is always symbolic of judgment. That's what the cross is all about. We talk about the beauty of the cross and, and the attraction of the cross. To be right honest with you, just from a human perspective, there is nothing attractive about the cross. The cross was a place of judgment, a place of death, the most horrible way that men could die. It was a place of judgment. As I said, Christ 
paid our price, bearing my sin, bearing my judgment. It was a place, an ark, an altar overlaid with brass. The horns on each corner, horns in the Bible are symbolic of strength and salvation. Symbolic of the victory of the cross. When Jesus cried, it is finished, he did not say, I'm finished. He is saying, it is finished. To telestai, teleostai. The work is done. The victory has been won. When he died, Jesus Christ, he paid the price as a victorious, victorious sacrifice. The staves and the rings made the altar portable, reminding us that the message of the death of Jesus Christ is to be carried into all the world and that all men are to know. But one final thing, and that is the ministry of the altar. What was the altar all about? Well, the altar symbolized two things. To wrap it all in a nutshell, the altar symbolized these two things. One, it symbolized the price for sin. The altar reminded men that sin was not a passing fancy. It was a serious thing. It had separated men from God. That's how serious sin was. Man was strange from God, cut off from God, separated from God. And that the price of sin was death, judgment. That was the price of sin. And the altar reminded men that sin is serious business. That it's a holy God we have to deal with. A God that cannot look upon iniquity. He cannot behold evil. He's a holy God and he cannot allow sin in his presence. Much less sinful man. And so sin is serious. Sin brings death. Sin brings eternal separation from God. So you saw that altar there. As those animals lay on that altar burning. And when that priest took that knife and cut the throat of that little bleeding lamb. A little old innocent lamb dying. Cruel, yes, but sin is serious. And those little quivering animals laying there as they drain the blood from their body. And the very life taken out of them. Reminding us of the price of sin. That because of sin and the seriousness of sin and the holiness of God. Something had to die. That was the penalty. That was the price. But it not only symbolized the price, but thank God it symbolized the provision. That sin was serious, but God had made provision for sin. What is that provision? Jesus Christ himself. That's what I'm trusting in. I'm not depending on anything I've done or anything I could do. I've dropped my anchor on Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. The altar symbolized that God had provided a way that men could be saved from their sin. Are you glad you've been through the door? Say amen. amen. You glad you've been to the cross? Say amen. Thank God for the altar. Take your prayer sheet tonight. Before we come and gather around the altar to pray, we want to look at our prayer sheet and remember uh, the special request that we have. Our missionary of the week is the Chattanooga Rescue Mission. Mike Harrell is the director. We supported the mission for a number of years. Used to be the Maranatha Rescue Mission, and they do a great job. We want to remember them and the work they do with a number of homeless uh, here in Chattanooga. Let's remember them. Our Church of the Week is Fellowship Baptist in Liberal, Kansas. Brother Bill Prater, and it was a joy to have them Sunday. What a blessing, uh, Brother Bill is, and 
and have enjoyed getting to know him through the years. We want to remember him tonight in prayer and be lifting him up and praying for him. Our hospital list, Alex Paget, and I haven't got to go to the hospitals all day, but uh, Aaron was, Alex was doing much better. We praise the Lord for that. Jesse, as you know, fell last Thursday in her Golden Ager's meeting, fractured a hip, and they're going to be moving her to a nursing home rehab. And, but uh, Jesse's still at Memorial. We want to be praying for her. And then Tracy, uh, he woke us up in the middle of the night, said he was sick, hurting, carried him in the hospital. He had appendicitis, so they went in there and cleaned a gob of meanness out of him today. So he's in there. Hopefully he'll get to go home tomorrow. But I saw him a little while ago. He was hurting a little bit, but let's remember Tracy. And then Michelle Wolf. This is uh, Rick Darcy's daughter. She's in there having her baby. I hadn't heard whether she's had the baby or not yet. But uh, I'm sure if she had, uh, uh, Darcy would be strutting through here, letting all of us know about one day. Amen. But let's remember Michelle. And then Barbara Cole. Uh, they, they finally got her moved today, Bobby. So let's remember Bobby or uh, Barbara and be praying for her. And then Rhonda West's grandmother, Willie uh, Wildman, intensive care. She had a stroke. Let's pray for her. Billy Jackson at Erlanger Hospital. Edna Gravely at Erlanger Hospital. And then the little Jeffrey's baby in natal intensive care at Children's Hospital as well. So let's all come and gather around the altar. Let's pray for these things. I want you to pray specifically tonight for revival. Let's pray for revival Sunday. We want to put forth a special effort to get folk here Sunday. And we not only, not only just want to get them here, but we want to see them saved. Let's pray for the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. Pray for Brother Hurt. Pray God to touch him. Thank God for his ministry. Let's pray God to use him in our lives. And, and there'll be convicting power in the service. Let's pray for all of these things.